Hey everybody, welcome to Canary Cry Radio. My name is Gons. This is episode number 142. And I know, you're thinking, where is Basil? Well, as you guys know, Basil tends to slip out of space and time at moments in history. And as you know, it's an annual occurrence. And so I think this year they timed it differently in the middle of the year. But regardless, the important thing is that he was still part of this discussion that you're about to hear today with Josh Peck and Stephen Bankers, the authors of the book, The Second Coming of the New Age, The Hidden Dangers of Alternative Spirituality in Contemporary America and Its Churches. And we dig into how the New Age has really infiltrated the church in America in various ways, in various shades, definitely blatant in some places, in others much more subtle. But this is all part of this change that we're experiencing here in the United States and across the world, the emergence of the mystery school religions as basically the foundation of the world religion. So we'll jump into all that stuff. But before we do real quick, I wanted to let you guys know about Canary Cry News Talk. We are going very consistent with Canary Cry News Talk every single week. We're putting out an episode and because of Basil's time, space, disappearance, slippage, We've been able to onboard a couple co-hosts the last few weeks. We had Chuck and Omar from Fire Theft Radio, as well as Sean from SGT Report. He sat in and helped out for a Canary Cry News Talk episode. And as of this recording, we have a few more weeks here with a few more guests co-hosting and holding down the fort for Canary Cry News Talk. So definitely check that out, canarycrynewstalk.com. And also make sure, even in his spatial absence, he is publishing podcasts, The Joyce Spiracy Theory, the most recent episode, TJT versus Peter. I'm not weird. You're weird. So yeah, check that out. It's actually a very good episode, a very good discussion uh, story from Peter and brings a little joy into your life as we discuss, you know, the more nefarious things going on in life. You got to keep it lighthearted because number one is probably the best way to deal with it. And number two, it's all in God's hands anyway, right? So yeah, there are genuine concerns but because of that confidence and knowing that the Lord is in control, we can focus on the joys that it brings us, knowing the eternal consequences here. But in the meantime, if you want to really just, you know, get down on how messed up everything is, you can go to the Face Like the Sun YouTube channel, where I recently published a couple episodes of We Are Being Gamified, working on part three as of this recording here. And I look at how gamification is taking place on all fronts, and bringing us to a place, a world, where access to the computers and the technology that's really all around us will encompass people's livelihoods to the fullest extent. And uh, as people lose their jobs through the machine and machine takeover, automation, all these things, um, people are going to be forced to participate in this gaming, gambling platform, all this stuff, in order to have an ability to produce economic return that will then be able to use for life and sustenance. And you can see how this all relates to a larger Revelation 13 type of eschatology. But to keep things moving here, we do also have a Facebook group. It's called the Canary Cry Community. Look for that. We also have the Canary Cry Radio page, which just hit 10,000 likes, I guess. And as far as we know, those are genuine likes out there. Those aren't bots. So thank you guys for giving us that like there on the page, even though Facebook is going towards that Libra project. And I wonder those of you guys still really using Facebook because, you know, I don't really use Facebook that much, but I know it's there, so I'm mentioning it with all this stuff. But what do you guys think about 
this whole Libra project that's going on and all the drama surrounding it. Is it all just a show? I think so. But anyway, moving on here, we also have a Twitch account. Go look for it, Canary Cry Radio on Twitch. We will be live streaming some kind of game and we will be discussing all of these issues in context of the game because, again, our goal here is to really spread the truth of the gospel in light of anything. And that includes all kinds of crazy video games that are out there right now. And that's where all the kids are at. And of course, we do have a support page where you can find various ways to support us financially. Patreon, PayPal, it's all there. CanaryCryRadio.com slash support. All right, that's enough of me. Let's get into this discussion for this episode, The Second Coming of the New Age. You can go all the way back to someone like uh, Norman Vincent Peale and The Power of Positive Thinking. I think it's on page 40 in his book, The Power of Positive Thinking. He says, God is in you. Some of the you know really well-known preachers and pastors are using some of these new Bible versions. And there's one from the New Century version that says, God rules everything, is everywhere, and is in everything. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away. My words will not pass away. The Bible described everything I was involved in. It's describing everything that's coming into the church. People try to explain away, like, well, say, hey, well, the shack is a good book to give to unbelievers. No, it's not, because New Age teachings that are in there, what kind of Christianity are they talking about? Yeah. And, the, and the scripture that comes to my mind is a little leaven, leaveneth the whole lump. You, you cannot, cannot have, have these, these false, false teachings inserted into these books surrounded by truth. Where do you come from? Why do you have an accent? That which is called where come from I, but within you, within this woman, within all peoples, I am one with your father, that which you are. Hold your new age representation, it created enough controversy unto that which had already been, that needed to discharge what had come to create a following, and thereby to hold God, and unto what is termed the understanding of that which is termed they who seek wisdom through that which I am. Okay. This is Canary Cry Radio. The Word of God tells us in Ecclesiastes 1.9 that there is nothing new under the sun. So what exactly is the message behind the New Age movement? And why are its philosophies, practices, and rituals being introduced to millions of Christians across America and the rest of Western civilization? We've seen all around us the mainstream popular culture has been standardized by a Western version of Eastern esoteric and mystical traditions. And while it may appear harmless on the surface, these cultural developments have also crept into the church, just as Jude 1-4 states, For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. And as more have paranormal and supernatural experiences that can be explained by New Age ideas, it will be ever more vital for the followers of Jesus Christ to be vigilant, watchful, and informed so as to be able to withstand the fiery darts of the wicked to fill us in on the intel on how we might build up our shield of faith are the co-authors of the book, The Second Coming of the New Age, The Hidden Dangers of Alternative Spirituality in Contemporary America and Its Churches, Stephen Bankars, and returning guest, one of our favorites on the show, Joshi 
Pecky. <laughs> thank, thank you for that electrifying introduction, Gons. That that really warmed my heart. Josh well, Pecky, we're so glad to have you back. <laughs> and Stephen, welcome Gonzi to the show. And Thanks for having me, guys. It's good to be here. Oh gosh, well, this promises to be a pretty rowdy episode as it is. But well, uh, we're never going to top the Cherubim Chariots episode, so we no. shouldn't even try. No, and you know, I wasn't even going to mention it as to tempt people to go back and listen to it. Oh, but yeah. yeah, I'm sure if you're people on a late are already night binge, on it. Maybe something to look into. Yeah. So we're going to get right down to the point here, Stephen and Josh. You guys co-wrote this book. Uh, what, where does the, I mean, there's there's a lot of research out there and a lot of exploration of the new age and how it's creeping into the church and into mainstream culture. Uh, what is the basis? What was the, the, uh, the inciting event that led you guys down this path? For me personally, uh, what led me down this path was the realization after I came to Christ three and a half years ago. Um, I used to I used to teach this this stuff, New Age philosophy, New Age um, doctrine. I actually went a lot into you know the pseudoscientific side of things. Um, I drew a lot of, of research from parapsychology and you know the alleged evidence for reincarnation for for a global consciousness field and so forth. And um, when I came to Christ, I had. I didn't have any Christians in my life online, but I had this following from having been an, uh, a blogger in, in the New Age movement. I was getting hundreds of thousands of views a day on my website. I was a guest author for the largest New Age website in the world. And uh, I had just 800,000 likes on my Facebook page, and I'm trying to preach the gospel to them, right, because I encountered Jesus Christ, and I knew he's the way, the truth, and life, just like he said. But <clears throat> what inspired me to write a book and to want to write a book was the, the, the realization that, okay, I have the same questions repeating over and over and over and over, the same objections to the faith coming from a New Age perspective, right, over and over and over. They're saying the same 10 things, right? So I had an email list of 90,000 people. They're saying the same thing as my community groups of 90,000 people saying the same thing as my Facebook page of 800,000 people. It was the same questions repeating over and over and over. And not only was I unaware of any Christian resources to really answer these que questions, I don't think they exist. Um, if I want to get my hands on a resource to really exegete and refute the, uh, you know, Deepak Chopra or Eckhart Tolle or Wayne Dyer uh, view of Christ consciousness, for example, a really thorough rebuttal to Christ consciousness, um, it simply doesn't exist, not in the way that it needs to. And so I saw this really large gap in the body of Christ where, hey, the church needs a resource. Not only do the people in the New Age movement need to see how the Word of God um, understands these ideas that they have, these objections that they're bringing forth to the faith, but the church itself needs to be empowered with the correct knowledge, right? God's people perish for a lack of knowledge, and we need to make sure the body of Christ is being equipped with everything it needs to combat the uh, the devices of the devil. And so I saw there was a really large gap in the body of Christ where there wasn't enough people really writing about this in a way that it ought to be written about, seeing as this is the number one threat to the faith right now, in my opinion, and statistically as well, it is the number one threat uh, in the country, spiritually speaking. You know, atheism is not a problem anymore. Um, Three percent of Americans are atheists, but, you know, 27 percent of Americans identify as spiritual but not religious. Uh, this is the number one threat to the church right now, and I didn't see there being anything really sufficient to address this. So that was that was my motive for writing the book. Well, one of the yeah. books that uh, I, I, that I ran into early on that really exposed the New Age movement was a book called "The Hidden Dangers of the Rainbow: uh, The New Age Movement and Our Coming 
Age of Barbarism. It was written by Constance Cumbie, but that was 1983. So uh, plenty has happened since then. So I think maybe an update to you know tackle the kinds of questions you're receiving now is is definitely necessary. It is definitely necessary, and and not only is it uh, you know two and a half decades um, prior to our our book. There's other books too, like The Kingdom of the Occult by. Uh, Walter Martin. Right. And these things, these are helpful. These are great. But as far as having the ability to be able to know how a new age, new age or a new age practitioner is thinking, um, what are they saying about the faith? What are their main hangs, hangups about the gospel, about Jesus, about epistemology, about theology, you know, about history? Um, what exactly are they saying? Not just a black and white sort of uh, explanation of, of, New Age religions in the West, but what do New Agers themselves need to know, and what do, what does the Church itself need to know in particular um, about the New Age movement? So each chapter in our book that Josh and I co-authored, um, it each they each represent one of the main objections that I received when I came out of the New Age movement. And what makes this book unique is that it's written by two ex New Agers. Um, you know, we aren't just studying this as some kind of a intellectual exercise. We lived this. This was our whole life. We've been outside of our bodies. We've d- done all kinds of crazy things. And so I thought it was really necessary. And, and Josh um, actually reached out to me at the end of 2017. I told God it was kind of crazy. Long story short, and I'll let Josh comment on this here. It was really cool. I was looking. I was like, I need to write a book because God's put that on my heart. I didn't know how the publishing industry worked, and I was like, God, you bring me a publisher. I'm naive. I don't know what I'm doing. And a few weeks later, Josh messaged me and said, do you want to write a book for Defender on the New Age movement? And uh, he said the Holy Spirit prompted him to do that. So, um, yeah, it's just been it's been uh, God-led from the start to the finish, and uh, I'm really, really pleased to have this book released finally. It's great. That's yeah, awesome. for, Very cool. for for me, it was it was totally Holy Spirit driven because I I had totally different uh, it, it, totally different plans kind of in mind for how the next couple of years were going to look for me, and so I always like it when the Holy Spirit interrupts those plans because his his plans are a lot better than mine. But uh, <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, it was weird. I was uh, I was just sitting in my office uh, one day. And I, I was editing some video. I, so I work at Skywatch TV. I edit video, like all the every uh, program that people watch on Skywatch TV. I, I edit all those and, and uh, take care of all that. But I, I was working on on somebody. I don't even remember the episode of the guest. It had nothing to do with New Age. Uh, but just out of nowhere, um, I just was like was prompted to to reach out to Steve and ask him to write a book with me about. New Age, uh, about exposing the New Age. I I had come out of New Age, and I kind of figured that at some point in my life I would write about that, but I figured that's going to be another 50 years down the line when I'm, you know, writing my memoirs or something like that. You know, then I'll write that book. I I definitely didn't expect to do it then, but um, so I, I got that, that prompting. We, we, uh, Steve and I had talked a little bit before we, we were already it sort of in contact. Um, he, uh, and this was even weird how this happened, but, um, his testimony video, which went viral. I mean, basically everybody who's listening to this has, has probably seen it. Uh, I, I watched his testimony video and there was so much of it that related to my own journey through the new age in, in my past. I, I related a lot to it. And so uh, I was going to invite him to be a guest on uh, my show Into the Multiverse to, to talk about that. At the same time that I was uh, getting ready to invite him on the show, he 
he wrote me with a uh, a show suggestion. He he wanted. Uh, he, he's like, hey, you know, I, I love your show, and uh, I have a suggestion. Would you know? Would you do a show uh, on Into the Multiverse about like consciousness and what role that plays in in Christianity and science and all that stuff? And I, I thought it was a great idea for a show, so I I kind of tried to marry those two things and said, well, do you want to come on the show and talk about that? I think that would be great. Uh, and at the time, he was still uh, very new into Christianity because this this was a long time ago. So he he had basically. J- just uh, come to Christ and he was learning about all, all of this stuff. And so uh, he uh, he gave what I thought was a, a really mature answer and probably way more of a mature answer that I would have gave when I first came to Christ. But uh, he said, you, you know what, brother, I, I need to take some time to just kind of uh, step out of the spotlight for a while and, and just, you know, have, have some time with just me and Jesus so I can, you know, learn, learn this stuff and develop that relationship first before uh, I start going like really public with a lot of things. So I said, okay, fair enough. You know, let's, let's keep in contact. And, uh, and whenever you want to come on, we'll have you on. So in the meantime, um, I I had uh, submitted some articles for his website. So we were, we were kind of keeping in contact through that. Uh, But it's, it wasn't like we were talking every day or anything. So then, uh, so for that to, for that day, when I was just editing some episode for that to just kind of drop in my spirit, it, you know, you, you, that I, I got to contact Steve and ask him to write a book about the new age like now. Uh, that really surprised me. And I I knew it wasn't me because, again, those weren't my plans. So so I reached out to him and I said, hey, I, th- this is like a really big thing to ask of somebody because you and I don't really know each other that well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, if you've ever written a book with somebody, I mean, you're, you're basically married to that person for at least a couple of years. Mm. Uh, and and you always have, you know, this thing where both of your names are, are attached to it, especially if it does well and if, it, if, if a lot of people like it and it it goes a lot of places such like like what second coming of the new age has done so uh so i told him basically what what i know about the public publishing industry how it would work because i didn't know if he knew anything about it and it, it turned out at the time he he was unfamiliar with with that side of it uh so we talked about it and everything and we were both on board and so we got together we wrote the book and uh it's that's that is the story of the book <laughs> that's awesome and we're, to, I mean, we're super glad that the book made it out and that you guys were able to settle your your differences and find, uh, <laughs> be married for a couple of years to make this work. Sounds like you know, podcasting. I gotta, yeah, I, I, <laughs> yeah. I, I got to tell you too, like I've, I've pretty much every book that I've come out with, except for a couple have been co-authored with people. And I've always had really pleasant experiences with that. Um, but uh, with, with Steve, there was something like unprecedented about it. I mean, this was the smoothest, easiest uh, working relationship I've ever had with uh, another person, and especially because we didn't know each other beforehand. He lives in a different country than I do. He's not even American. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. And uh, somehow, somehow it, it worked out great, and it was it was the whole thing was just totally Holy Spirit driven. And uh, so, you know, all, all glory goes to God on that. But uh, yeah, I I, I got to give props to Steve because he he put up with me for all all that time, and it, it came out to be a pretty good book, I think. <laughs> Good job, Steve. We're proud of you, buddy. Thanks, man. (laughs) (laughs) So here, I got a question for you guys, because we're going to just kind of jump right into at least the questions that I have that I think might be answered in the book. And the first one is, you know, you see a lot of uh, stuff floating around Facebook, at least if you're on my Facebook, it's pretty much all you see. But what were the um, maybe most obvious or most poignant 
areas in the church today that are influenced uh, in, in the biggest way by the New Age movement? I mean, where exactly is this infiltration happening? That's a good question. It seems there's every sector. So um, church within church buildings uh, would be one sector within Christian bookstores would be another sector. And then within the private thought life of Christians would be, you know, the third category. Um, every area is infiltrated by the new age, at least to some degree. What are some and examples of that? An example would be um, Christians practicing yoga in church, for example, church door. I was just at a church, a local church opened up. They're a garbage denomination. It's called the the New Apostolic Church. It's different from the NAR, but it's still extremely uh, heretical and just awful. So anyway, I went in there and I was like, okay, I want to learn more about your church. What are you guys about? They're like, oh yeah, we're having a yoga class back there. And they're all bringing their yoga mats and they're running out to do yoga in the church together. And the, the guy there is the pastor. So the pastor is doing yoga with his own congregation. Um, my own mother had to quit her job working at a church because they invited Native Americans to come in and do a, a drumming circle together and to do smudging and this blanket ceremony in the church, right? And they were thinking, you know, our church was built on indigenous land. So to help celebrate um, the anniversary of that, we're going to bring in indigenous people. And basically they just taught paganism and brought paganism into the church. But at a more um, universal level, you would see, yeah, yoga would be an example. The labyrinth walk would be an example. Um, contemplative prayer would be another example. Um, we can go into these things a little bit more in depth if need be. Um, books like The Physics of Heaven, sold at uh, Bethel Church, that's explicitly New Age. Um, we explain that in, in chapter 10 of our book. Chapter 10 of our book goes through um, a whole host of ways in which the New Age has infiltrated the church. Um, but a, a more subtle way, for example, would be the issue of karma. That's a way that the New Age movement has been so deeply ingrained into the West. Eastern philosophy is so deeply ingrained into the West, we don't even realize we're thinking in New Age philosophy anymore, even as Christians, right? Um, this idea that what goes around comes around. Um, now, the Bible does say if we sow to the flesh, we'll reap from the flesh destruction and spiritual death, but that doesn't always mean we will suffer in the same way we have made others suffer, right? People will think, oh, I stole something when I was 13, you know, and then they think if I got something stolen from me when I was 26 or 36, they think, oh, I shouldn't have done that. That's that's just me um, working out my bad karma that I, I, you know, kind of indebted myself to back in my youth. But the problem with that is that the Bible says in Colossians 2.14 that the record of offenses that stood against us was nailed to the cross and done away with with its legal demands. So Jesus paid our moral debt in full, right? He was judged already for our moral crimes. God's not going to judge Jesus for our crime and then, and then judge you later on in your life for a mm. crime that Jesus already paid the price for on the cross. He already fully atoned for that. But Christians, I, I don't. I, there's no statistic that would um, be able to really tell us how many Christians believe in this idea of what goes around comes around in terms of karma, but it's an Eastern philosophical principle that is deeply embedded into the idea of reincarnation. We're he here to alleviate karmic debt from a past life and we incarnate over and over again to work off bad karma that we've accumulated until we reach a point where um, our good karma uh, outweighs our bad karma and we leave the cycle of death and rebirth called samsara and we can finally advance on in, in a spiritual plane. Um, but people just think, oh yeah, what goes around comes around. That's not biblical at all. Um, you know, we live in a new covenant of grace. Jesus paid the price in full for everything that uh, we've done wrong. And but people just because of how prevalent it is and pervasive it is, it is in our culture, um, they're tricked into thinking in new age ways without even realizing it. Yeah. What do you think uh, or what do you guys posit that the kind of the real life consequences of these things making it into the church are? 
ultimately what it what it does is it causes the the Christian to act, think, and believe in a way where he is his own God without actually intellectually recognizing that. So then when things don't mm. go his way, you know, he thinks, well, there's something wrong with my prayer life or there's something wrong with my relationship with God when when really it's because he's not recognizing God's role in the person's life. So take the karma example. If you really believe what goes around comes around, or if you really believe that, if you put good things into the world, and there's a lot of churches that teach this, you know, you put good thoughts and good things into the world, then good things will be returned to you. Well, then then you're 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 telling the Christian that he can manipulate the system, basically. You know that that he can, in his sentence, be his own god. He can he can bring good things into his own life or bring evil things into his own life. And not only that, but anything good or evil that comes into his life is because of something he did. And that's not always the case. Sometimes we do bring good things and bad things into our lives. You know, you make a bad decision, and you got to you're going to have consequences for that. Um, so that that happens, but not every single time. You know, look, look at the life of Job. You know, not, none of that was necessarily his fault. That a lot of uh, the bad misfortunes, uh, things that happened to him, it had nothing really to do with him. He he didn't he didn't like speak evil things into his life, and he was now being punished for it in some weird karmic thing. It had nothing to do with that. Mm. Uh, and I, and you know, there's a lot of stories like that in the Bible, but I I think the those those accounts really show that it's not. Us, that's the God. We are not the God. God can decide to do whatever he wants. And there's a whole spiritual battlefield playing out that we can't really see, but that interacts with us every day. So if pastors uh, and churches don't tell Christians that, then the Christian is left to think that it's all on them, when really it's all on Jesus. And if we submit to Jesus and recognize, you know, bad things are going to happen, sometimes it's our fault, sometimes it's not. If it is our fault, then we can grow and learn from that. We can become better people, and we can follow Christ more closely by learning, you know, our lessons through that. Sometimes it's not our fault, and sometimes bad things just happen because we live in a fallen world. A lot of that has, uh, you know, a lot of theological ground to cover with that, having to do with free will and, and a, a whole bunch of other things but but the main thing the main thing is uh cause if you if a christian believes that they're in that much control then they're not going to they're not going to learn as as much as a christian who's totally in submission to christ would be able to learn and grow and mature through life and and be a better witness and a better tool for christ towards other Christians, uh, you know, a, a big a big part of this too that really that really hit our culture was the the self esteem movement of the '90s. So I grew up in this. Uh, you know, I was born in '84. So by the time the the '90s rolled around, I was I was uh, very malleable and, and easy uh, to influence. And that this was when all the self esteem stuff was really was was really gaining popularity. And you know, people at first think on the surface, well, you know, self esteem. What's bad about that? You know, you shouldn't hate yourself. It's like, well, you know, no, maybe you shouldn't hate yourself, but you shouldn't, you know, love yourself that much either, because we need to know what uh, what our role is in, in Christ. You know, Christ loves us; we love Christ. But if we if 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 we're only focused on ourselves, or if we're only focused on, um, you know, doing what we want to do, and then the whole world has to accept that, because that's basically what the self esteem movement taught in the '90s: is you're you're great how you are. Don't let anybody get you down. Don't let you know anybody tell you you're not you're not worth you know you're not worth it and all this stuff. You you, you just you, you know you you do you, and then everybody is supposed to conform to that. And while there are some things in it 
you know, this is what the enemy does. He'll, he'll take some truth and, and then like put, put, twist it around with lies. There's some truth there. You, you know, you, you, people are, are worth something because God created us. And, uh, you know, if we, if, if we decide to follow Christ and, you know, all that stuff. So, I mean, people are worth something, but that doesn't mean that the rest of the world has to conform around who we think we are today. We should always be growing. The only way we can grow is by uh, comparing ourselves to the world we see around us and and ultimately comparing ourselves to Christ. Uh, So what you see too much of is people comparing themselves to each other, to other people, and then uh, they either reject that comparison or they take that, they reject the comparison and then say, well, the whole world's got to conform around me, or they take the comparison too far and they say, well, I want to be like everybody else. And then they, but either way, whichever way they, they decide to go, they're, they're acting like the world. They're not acting like Christ. The, the proper way is to compare yourself to Christ, see all of your failings, and there's going to be a long list of them, but it doesn't necessarily mean you have to, you know, destroy yourself over it. You, you, you don't have to, like, you know, climb in bed and not come out for a month because you're so depressed you don't want to get out of your room. Uh, it's not that. You compare yourself to Christ and you see where your failings are, but then you remember how amazing Christ is, is that he died for you while you were still sinning, while you were still a failure while you were still nothing compared to him. He loves you that much that you you can compare yourself to him and then and then try to attain that goal, seeing how Christ led his life and then trying to model your life after his, knowing that you're never in this life you're never going to reach that goal, but the closer you get, if every Christian would do that, uh you know, the, the church would be an unstoppable force in the world. But but we have uh, all this new age stuff that's causing people to think too much about themselves and not enough about uh, about Jesus, about other Christians, uh, you know, about about the world around them, you know, nothing like that. It, it's it's very self focused, uh, and that has just destroyed not only the church but our entire uh, culture all around the world. But even right here in America, it's gotten really bad. So uh, th- those are yeah, those are some of the biggest dangers. Yeah, I think one big danger as well, just real briefly here, is um, the the issue of is Scripture our only rule of faith and practice, or isn't it? Right. And the influence of the New Age into the church, the first thing it's going to try to do, the first thing Satan's going to try to do and any demon's going to try to do to um, undermine the faith and the walk uh, of a born-again believer is to get them to question the word of God. I mean, that's what he did in the garden. That was his first tactic in the garden. That was his first and only tactic when Jesus was fasting. Yep. And that's what he does. He comes to us and he tries to get us to question um, the word of God. You know, it says in 2 Corinthians 4, Paul urges, urges the church to not go above and beyond that which was written, right? And in Jude, Jude tells us to earnestly contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. It's done, right? So the faith is completed. We have a word of God that contains all things that pertain to life and godliness in it. It's sufficient. It's God-breathed. It's inerrant. And then Satan comes in, and what he tries to do is he tries to smuggle in a new metaphysical standard that becomes our interpretive framework by which we now assess the Bible, or an experiential model, some kind of mystical experience that's ne- that now that is our hermeneutic by which we're looking at Scripture. To give you an example, um, there's this belief that there's a metaphysical principle called the law of attraction, where the universe is built to kind of give you and send you whatever is aligned with your dominant thoughts and your dominant emotions. So the idea here is that like attracts like, and I'm going to receive 
uh, into my reality, what I'm putting out into the world with my thoughts, my intentions, my attitudes, and so forth. So you can manifest in this way. You can manifest abundance by thinking about abundance and positioning your attitude as one who already has abundance in a way that this has sadly worked its way into the church. There's a woman named Patricia King who has a book called God's Law of Attraction. And in the book, it talks about how Job attracted all this suffering into his his life by saying something. It was to the effect of, I fear the Lord has done this and this. And she's like, Job attracted this because his his fear caused this and brought this into his reality. And so, okay, great. Now the law of attraction is going to be our hermeneutical standard that we're going to exalt above the word of God and hold the word of God up to, right? We have a new metaphysical standard now, a new interpretive standard that's not the scriptures that we're going to hold the scriptures up to, the law of attraction, right? And so whether it is some principle or some idea, which is more akin to Gnosticism, or whether it's some experience that we're holding scripture up to as our standard, which would be more so mysticism, mysticism and secret knowledge, that's what drives the new age, right? And it's based on the idea that there's always some kind of secret hidden knowledge you have to find and you have to discover, and that your experience is your objective truth. It's your reality. And, uh, but obviously God has something to say about that. You know, it's his word that's firmly fixed in the heavens. You know, the grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of the Lord remains forever. He exalted his word word above his own name, right? We should exalt it above our beliefs, our practices, our subjective experiences. But the first thing Satan wants to do and the first thing the new age really attempts to do in and through the church is to get people to um, really knock down the Word of God as their standard and include this metaphysical principle or this experience as their uh, standard by which they're going to um, assess truth. Yeah. And so um, it does water down and undermine the Word of God. That's Satan's first and last trick yeah, and you know, yeah, all the time. I've definitely noticed that, especially in some of the uh, progressive, what's labeled progressive Christianity and some of their theological thinking and how they, you know, render certain scriptures and things of that nature. I've noticed, um, uh, yeah, you're like, you talked about the hermeneutic and what it's based off of what their framework is. Um, but I had a brief question about yoga since you brought it up as a cultural example. And, uh, you know, I live kind of in the, the Mecca of, uh, the Westernization of yoga here. Uh, you know, people walking around with yoga pants and, and yoga mats strapped to their backpacks is like a normal thing. Um, and, uh, over the years, you know, they've, uh, I've had, I've been in um, churches that offered and, uh, you know, had leadership put together yoga things. And I've confronted some of those people in the past as, you know, I'm, as I tend to do, get myself in trouble. Um, but I asked the question, like, what, you know, why do you think this is acceptable? That kind of thing. And the response overwhelmingly, and I, I asked a few people that were involved in it overwhelmingly. The response I got was, well, you know, as long as we're focused on, Jesus during the, you know, the, all the movements and stuff, we're not really, you know, we're not emptying our mind. We're not trying to conjure some kind of uh, self-worth or anything like that. We're just trying to focus on Jesus while we do these poses. And, and I kind of went into, and I think most of our listeners are somewhat familiar with the idea that, you know, some of these poses have to do with, you know, the Hindu gods and things of that nature. But yeah, they sort of uh, just mentally made it so that it was just an exercise and that the mind part of it was all focused on Jesus. What kind of response do you have to uh, folks that are, you know, coming up with those types of explanations for something like yoga? 
I'm gonna let I'm gonna let Steve answer this, but I just want to interject one real quick thing. Th- th- this is something that surprised us uh, big time. The response that we that we got from the yoga question, uh, because in the book we you know, I, and Steve's gonna answer uh, um, this side of it, but we you know we go through the book and explain why Christians should not have anything to do with yoga, and we got some of the most heated responses <laughs> on that one on that one specific thing. The yoga thing was was a spe- I mean it, it's like it, it's it's defended by Christians with like a spiritual fervor, and that, yeah. that tells me that there's there's something up with it. But I'll, yeah. I'll, let, I'll let yeah I'll let I'll let Steve uh, explain. <laughs> yeah, well, I would I would say that to say to try and treat yoga as just stretching is trying to is like a Hindu trying to treat baptism as just taking a bath. <laughs> or it's the well, same as a, a Hindu way. or a New Ager tr- treating communion as a snack. <laughs> and you know these practices are intrinsically spiritual right so yoga right. by definition in any webster's dictionary is a hindu theistic practice the word yoga itself means union and it refers to a union that is to be reached where the atman the individual self is realized to be brahman the universal self that undergirds reality this impersonal force in the universe so yoga um by definition, it's not just stretching. Yoga is a psycho-spiritual practice that's designed to alter your consciousness and align the chakras of your body so that you can facilitate a higher state of consciousness, of self-realizing oneself as being God, and the state of consciousness is called moksha, right? God is all, all is God, and hatha yoga is a practice meant to induce this state of God consciousness. Now, some, as you mentioned, some poses are named after various polytheistic deities. Um, the warm-up pose is usually a sun salutation. Um, there's also a moon salutation people are often doing. And and my question to people would be this. Um, and in the book, in, in chapter 10, we outline much more thoroughly. We go to primary uh, Vedas, Vedic sources. Uh, we document this thoroughly. My question to people would be, you know, what do we do with the verses where God says, um, you know, come ye separate from the world and then I will receive you. Touch no unclean thing. What would we do with the verses like this in Deuteronomy 12, um, starting in verse 29? This is a big one. <clears throat> it says, when the Lord your God cuts off before you the nations whom you go in to dispossess and you dispossess them and dwell in their land, take care that you do not be ensnared to follow them after they have been destroyed before you and that you do not inquire about their God saying, how did these nations serve their gods that I also may do the same? Mm. You shall not worship the Lord your God in that way. For every abominable thing that the Lord hates, they have done for their gods. So God's telling us he doesn't want to be worshipped in the same way that pagan gods are worshipped. He has a way that he wants to be worshipped. He wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. He wants our worship life to be sanctified. And if somebody is going to dip their toes into a practice that comes from a demonic philosophy with a demonic outcome— inspired by demons. There's um, legend that, you know, Krishna had inspired the practice of Hatha Yoga and given it to man. You know, this, I don't think there's a more clear example of the teaching of demons than than the practice of yoga. Um, even the Hindu American, uh, the uh, Hindu Association of America, they're infuriated, they're infuriated with what's going on in the West right now, where they're trying to culturalize yoga as some kind of like fitness routine. Yeah. And they're saying yoga is spirituality. Yoga is pantheism. It's pantheism in practice. So it's idolatry in, in terms of you're yielding your body unto the celestial bodies and the polytheistic deities unto the end of more idolatry. You're trying to become self-realized as a divine being. And my question is, if someone wants to go in there, first of all, if you're in a yoga studio, you're deceived, you need to get out. Now, the question would be, if I'm practicing yoga on my own, 
right? Because if you're in a yoga studio and you got incense burning, you got pictures of idols there, you got some demonized yoga instructor <laughs> teaching you who knows what, you know, there's zero obligation God has to protect you in that environment, mm. right? Um, why would God, like the Bible says, God will not be mocked. Whoever sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh destruction. And it says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 20, that what I imply, Paul says, I imply what pagans offer unto idols, they offer unto demons. You can't sit at the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Are you going to provoke the Lord to jealousy? Right? So when we subject ourselves to anything that the Bible would consider as being idolatry, the Bible says we seat ourselves at the table with demons and the Lord will not be mocked. Whoever sows to the flesh will reap from the flesh destruction. So my question would be, why not do just an ordinary backstretching routine that you can find from a chiropractor, that you can find from a personal trainer, that you can Google in 10 minutes? You know, backstretchers have been scientifically proven to be just as effective as, as at alleviating back pain um, as yoga is. Um, why call it yoga? Why be involved in yoga? Why go to yoga classes? And my question would be, um, why are you presuming? It's presumptuous to think that God would protect you mentally and spiritually in an environment like that when he says the complete opposite. You know, he's not going to be mocked. He's not a respecter of persons. He doesn't want to be served in the same way other na nations serve their gods. He wants to be worshipped in spirit and in truth. And um, what about yoga is in spirit and in truth? It's in the wrong spirit and it's in deception. Um, and so I don't think that you can practice sort of a, a diluted version of yoga or a holy yoga, if you will, any more than you can practice a, um, a, a Eastern baptism or an Eastern communion ceremony. Like uh, there's consequences to trying to incorporate a different type of spirituality into one's worldview. And um, God is very clear. He doesn't want us doing that. So I, I just, I don't see, uh, I, first of all, I don't see a reason why we would want to do such a thing when there's other options that are just as effective. And second of all, I don't see a reason coming from scripture with the direct commands we have from the Lord to flee from idolatry right? To, why, why would we think and presume that God is going to protect me mentally and spiritually from any and all influence if I yield myself into this environment, into this practice? Um, I think that's presumptuous. It's a sin of presumption. It's testing the Lord. Yeah. Don't put the Lord your God to the test. You're putting him to the test by doing that, putting yourself in an arena, a demonic arena, demonic philosophy, and saying the Lord's going to protect me. You don't know that. Right. Um, so I, I don't think it's doing our best to make sure that we're coming separate from the world, living a sanctified life, you know, being an imitator of God, um, being set up, being in the world, but not of the world. Mm -hmm. And um, I think that Christians can can aim higher. You know, I love Christians who practice yoga. There's Christians I know who who practice yoga, and I don't I don't want them to do that. I think they need to get out of there. And I think their walk with the Lord would be much better, much sharper. Their discernment would be, would be better. I think they're grieving the spirit in their life. Right, mm. right. You know, um, the mindset on the the spirit is life and peace. The mindset on the flesh is death. Right. But Galatians 5, verses 19 to 21 says idolatry is a work of the flesh. And I think yoga, um, especially in the act of being in a, in a corporate setting, um, it's idolatry of self, for one, and it's tacitly complying with the sin of idolatry and sitting yourself at the table of demons, um, secondly. And so um, that would be a few responses I would give to this this issue of yoga. I don't mm. think it's just, well, I'm just going to do these stretches and go to yoga class and just pray to God in my head while I'm doing this, it's not about praying to God. It's about pleasing God. Right. And, and why, why do you think that pleases God? No, that's, that's you know? a very, very thorough, uh, response to yoga, which I think, I don't think we've, uh, fully articulated on the show. So thank you very much for that. And along those same lines, 
you know, one thing that I've certainly noticed, and I'm sure you guys have a, a response for, is a lot of, you know, originally uh, new agey type um, groups or doctrines or teachings, you know, they do have a lot of language and a lot of uh, focus on uh, a certain type of expression of Christ. I mean, you you see Christ-leaning New Agey people all over the place. And, you know, I've seen the response be, well, that's, that's a great open door to... Uh, you know, to find common ground with New Agers and to, to uh, you know, maybe take a first step towards Christianity. What is the Christ that uh, we hear so much about in the New Age movement? And oh, yeah. what do we think about that? Yeah, and we definitely shouldn't be trying to find common ground with, with New Agers or New Age beliefs. If, if there is any—because co- for us to be finding common ground, that means that we're compromising Christ. We don't ever want to compromise Christ, because New, new Age does that. Um, <clears throat> Steve wrote a, a whole chapter on the, the New Age version of Christ versus the real version of, of Christ. But uh, just to, to preface uh, his, his response, I would just say that it's not up to us to find common ground with any beliefs outside of Christianity. We should be witnessing to them, but we have to be firm in our faith and we have to be firm in our beliefs and, and not willing to compromise. Because if it's truth, if we really believe it's truth, then there is no reason to to compromise that truth. If we do compromise that truth, what we're telling the other person is, well, your truth is just as true as my truth, even though they're different. So my truth doesn't really mean any more than yours does. And uh, so neither of us have the truth. Oh, great. Then, then we're, we're both living in lies. Awesome. And, but that's what every religion does. That's what every religion um, on the world, except for what Christianity is supposed to be, uh, even though in in recent years Christianity has kind of been doing this too, trying to be really you know in, in, in inclusive to all these other religions. And you know, I'm not saying that we shouldn't preach the gospel to people. We absolutely should, but we should do that without compromise. You know, without without saying things that Jesus never said, or without saying, well, you know, it's you probably don't need that part of the gospel. And you know, if you want to believe this, that's okay. Now, at the same time, we also have to recognize what certain things, what cer- certain of our, our uh, certain beliefs we might have that are only opinions and interpretations, and may or may not be truth. And we do have a whole other chapter on that. There are some things that we could say, well, you know, there's a couple different ways you could look at this, like say for the rapture debate, you know, that whole thing. If if uh, if you're talking to an atheist or if you're talking to a new ager and you're trying to get them saved, and if they bring up the rapture and they say, yeah, but I, I just can't believe that, you know, we're, we're all just going to disappear someday. And then, you know, what I would say is, well, there are schools of thought on that. There are Christians who actually don't even believe in a rapture. I'm personally not one of them. I do believe in a rapture, but uh, that that wouldn't necessarily get in the way of you accepting Christ today. It's just it would be a subject that you could look into, but there is no general consensus within Christianity on the timing of the rapture or anything. So there are some things that we have to recognize in humility are uh, kind of our, our, our personal opinions, you know, even though some Christians don't want to admit that. But uh, but there are some things like that. But when it comes to who Jesus was, what exactly he taught, how, uh, what the path to heaven is, you know, all that 
stuff, what salvation is, him him resurrecting from the dead, all, all of that stuff, it's really not up for debate and we shouldn't be compromising anyway. But that is what the New Age does. The New Age does have a counterfeit Christ. And uh, Steve can tell you about that. Yeah, I think that it, it's it's healthy for Christians to create conversations with New Agers about Jesus. Um, not only is it healthy, it's I really think the only place we should land, and we should stay there, my personal opinion, is that when we're evangelizing the people in the New Age, everything else is a red herring. The problem isn't that they think crystals have metaphysical power. The problem is that they're suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And the God of the Bible confronts the lives that they're living and the skeletons that they have in their closet. And so they resist God, and they hate the light, lest they come to the light and have their deeds be exposed that they were done in darkness. Jesus says, the world hates me because I testify of it that its works are evil. Um, the first word starting his earthly ministry was repent and believe the gospel. That's challenging. So people resist Christ. And, you know, if we're, we are staying in our wheelhouse, which, which it should be as Christians, Jesus should be our wheelhouse. We don't have to learn every single doctrine that the New Age teaches under the sun. Um, let's learn what it has to say about Jesus, and we can minister to them at that level and keep it centered there. That's where the Holy Spirit wants to do his ministry, his jobs to bear witness of Christ and reveal Christ. Let's give him a means by which to do that and not go off on these red herrings and allow you know, frivolous debates take us away from the centrality of the cross, right? So anyway, the, the, it's great to talk to people about Jesus. It's just, which Jesus are we talking about? And New Ager tells us, okay, yeah, I believe in Jesus too. It, you know, helpful question, which Jesus? You know, because is the Jesus you believe, is this the monotheistic Jew who believed that Yahweh was a transcendent personal being outside of space and time? Is this the Jesus who believed the Old Testament was the inerrant word of God? that the scriptures could not be broken? Is this the Jesus who believed he was the only path back to the Father? Is this the Jesus who believed that he was the sacrifice for human sin? This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Mark 10, 45, I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Is this the Jesus who came to give his life as a ransom? His entire purpose was to die as a sacri human sacrifice. Um, you know, is this the Jesus whom John the Baptist, I love this because this is a really helpful talking point with New Agers, and I'll explain what they say about Christ consciousness, which is really their primary doctrine they teach. But um, Jesus called John the Baptist the greatest man ever, right? He said, among those born of women, there's been none greater than John the Baptist. And the first thing John the Baptist said about Jesus Christ when he saw him, he didn't say, behold, here is the Buddhist mystic who studied in India the last 18 years and is going to teach us the inner path of enlightenment. He didn't say, behold, here's the Gnostic. Behold, here's the ascended master. He said, behold, here's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is the greatest man ever. So obviously the greatest man ever, if Jesus is going to call him that, he has a correct understanding of who he is, right? So it's the Jesus that the New Ager believes is that the Lamb of God who was sent as a sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. And the answer is obviously no. They believe in a few versions of, G few versions of Jesus. One of them, um, which we'll, we explain a little bit more um, in the book, is this idea taught by uh, theosophy, that Jesus was an ascended master and that he was overshadowed during his earthly ministry. There was another entity who is called uh, Maitreya, who is the Christ. So Jesus isn't the Christ. The Christ came and used Jesus' body as a vehicle and kind of uh, overshadowed um, Jesus Christ, just like he did with Buddha and other, you know, ascended masters from our past. And we explain that more. But the primary way New Agers understand Christ is they believe in this idea of Christ consciousness, right? So they define God as being the substance of reality. They'll say we're all made of God. 
God is the substance of nature itself. Therefore, God is the substance of man. Therefore, God is the innermost self. Therefore, my problem is not sin. My problem is self-ignorance. I don't know who I am yet. And Jesus is someone who came to show us how to self-realize that we are intrinsically divine, right? So since God is the substance of man, to be enlightened is to enter into the kingdom of God, which is a mystical state of consciousness of realizing that you are God by nature. Right? So the New Age believes that human beings are God by nature, just like Jesus was, and Jesus came to teach us that we're inherently unified with God, but separated through self-ignorance. And Jesus wants to show us how to reach the state of self-divinity, just like he realized. And this is being taught by um, people who are professing Christians, like Oprah Winfrey teaches this. Um, you know, She'll call herself a Christian in one breath, and in the next breath she'll say, I don't believe Jesus came to die for our sins, she came to teach us Christ consciousness. Um, this is being taught by Jim Carrey by Russell Brand, you know, by Eckhart Tolle, by Deepak Chopra, by a 2020 presidential candidate, Marianne Williamson. Um, some of the best-selling New Age books of all time have taught this kind of stuff, Conversations with God, A Course in Miracles. Uh, this is a very, very prevalent view, and it's very, very easy to debunk, and we have a 20,000-word chapter, uh, chapter six in our book, um, really going at the issue of Christ consciousness. Um, a, a quick rebuttal to that would be, um, John the Baptist, once again, who Jesus says the greatest man ever, the Pharisees were pressing him to disclose his identity, and they ask him, are you the Christ? And he literally says verbatim, I am not the Christ. So if, he, if John the Baptist isn't Christ, how is Deepak Chopra Christ? Hmm. Because New Age teachers will run around saying, you know, we can each become Christ. You know, not just Jesus was Christed, you can be Christed too. Um, we document in the book many, many different New Age teachers who tell people not just that they can be like Christ, but that they they are a Christ themselves. Um, another dead giveaway that this is a problem is that Jesus tells us, um, he says this, he says, people tell him, what will the signs be of your coming and of the end of the age? And he says that in the end times, people will walk around. Many will come in my name saying, I am Christ and will deceive many. He doesn't say many will say, I am Jesus. He says, many will say, I am Christ and will deceive many. Now, that can mean a few things. That can mean many will come in my name and <clears throat> claim to be a literal, physical incarnation of me and deceive many, but there's only maybe a few dozen throughout history who've claimed that, and they've all had relatively small cult followings that have dissolved with time. Um, or is he talking about the millions and millions and millions of people? Is he talking, perhaps, is this a, a possibility, that he's talking about in the end times, people will be deceived by the divinity of man? that Satan's first lie, ye shall be as gods, will become prevalent again in the world, ye shall be as Christ, and that many will come in my name saying, I am Christ, and will deceive many. Is he, is he talking about uh, a, remer a remergence of esoteric philosophy in the world? And is he talking about, um, you know, what we're seeing right now in the West, this major influx of occult philosophy, where you have some of the most socially influential people on the planet believing this idea of Jesus? I was I was uh, talking to uh, somebody, the spirit science creator. He created the spirit science YouTube channel, and um, I was a guest author on his site. And I remember I was talking with him, and he, he looked me in the eyes, and he said, I am Christ. This is when we were both in the New Age. He's like, I am Christ, right? And I believe that about myself too, right? Millions of people are being taught and walk around believing that they either can become Christ or they are Christ. To say you have Christ consciousness in the New Age, that is the apex of human spirituality. Um, now, the reason why New Age people, 
people believe this, uh, New Age teachers will pervert certain verses, like the kingdom of God is within you. Jesus arguably didn't even say that. The word in Greek is entos. Entos means in the midst of the best translations we have, like NASB or ESV, don't say the kingdom of God is within you. But even if he is referring to an indwelling kingdom, the kingdom of God is not meat or drink, but peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. You don't receive the Holy Spirit until you receive the gospel upon a hearing that is with faith. Right, so even still, even if it is he is talking about an indwelling kingdom, you're not in it yet. You're devoid of the Spirit, Jude 19. You don't have the Spirit of God yet. Um, so another one would be, you know, Jesus says, "Is it not written in your law that ye are gods?" Right, John 10, uh, verse 34. He's referring to Psalm 82:6. Is it not written in your law that ye are gods? There's two different interpretations to that. Um, one would be that the judges in uh, Israel um, under Moses, when he uh, initiated this order of judges because he was trying to handle everything on his own and his, he, he just couldn't do it anymore. And so the, the judges, they were actually called Elohim in the Hebrew. Um, they were ascribed this title for having a quasi divine role of being God's moral representatives among the people. And so when we read in, in Psalm 82, we're reading about the gods, the earthly judges who are given this title by God. It's a, it's a mytho poetic reference to their quasi divine role. That's all it is. Um, but we learn about these gods and it says that they have no knowledge and they're ignorant. So they're obviously not being called gods because of their spiritual development. They it says they lack knowledge. They're actually corrupt. Psalm 82 is a rebuke. He's rebuking these people who are also being called gods and says, says they will die like princes. Um, now, another uh, potential interpretation of that comes from Dr. Michael Heiser, who actually wrote the foreword for our book, which is completely crazy. He has a really uh, pro uh, prominent book called The Unseen Realm. He says that uh, Psalm 82.6 is a reference to the divine council, this uh, spiritual host of beings who God has kind of allocated certain areas of the earth to, to kind of co-rule with him over. And they're misusing their authority, they're misdoing their job. And what Jesus is saying here is, I'm one of those Elohim. I'm the only Elohim that is Yahweh. And that's why they wanted to stone him. But either way, um, this idea that Jesus was trying to teach that man is intrinsically divine. Okay, why does the Bible say, why does the Old Testament that Jesus affirms as being the word of God say, put fear in them, O Lord, let the nations know they are but men? Or why does it say that the Egyptians are man uh, and not, what does it say? The Egyptians are man and not God. Their horses are flesh and not spirit. If the Bible wanted us believing we are divine, as the New Age will tell us, Jesus really came to taught, you know, you're really a God. The kingdom of God is within you. You're divine by nature, just like I am. Let me show you the way. We're all God. We're in this together. How come the only three people in Scripture, the king of Tyre, the king of Babylon, and King Herod, when they tried to wear deity for themselves, they were issued the death penalty by God himself. Mm. They were all killed by God. So if God wanted us to wear deity and believe we're all divine, he would set a better precedent for us than capital punishment and hellfire. The only other person who kind of claimed that was Nebuchadnezzar, and he got turned reprobate to go eat the grass like a donkey. Like, God hates it. It's a capital sin and God dies. It's the complete opposite of what God wants us to believe about, about ourselves. Yes, we're made in God, God's image, but we don't, we don't share in his nature. We're not partakers of his nature intrinsically. We're alienated from God. We're alienated from the life of God. Um, we're dead in our trespasses and sins, et cetera, et cetera. We're devoid of the spirit. Uh, we sit in the, sh the shadows of the valley of death uh, without God and without hope in the world. Um, we're not God by nature, but that's the same lie told in the Garden of Eden in Genesis 3. If you, There's some kind of secret knowledge. There's some kind of special knowledge in a broad sense. If you partake of this spe special knowledge, you will become as God or as the gods, as it says in the King James Version. And it's the same lie rehashed. 
except now the name of Jesus is being slapped onto it. And it's very easy to debunk, but when you're talking with New Agers, this is what they're going to try to push. And um, it's really helpful to understand what Jesus says about himself, about being a monotheistic Jew and the only path to God, and to have a couple rebuttals pocketed for when they pull out these proof texts, like, well, Jesus said we're all gods, and Jesus says the kingdom's within you. Well, no, not really. So anyway, in a nutshell, it's a kind of what they say in a nutshell about Jesus. Yeah, and and that's kind of the, you know, uh, being someone who has come in contact with uh, some of these thinking people, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are familiar with these types, if not know some of them personally. I mean, it, it then becomes a, uh, I don't know, it, it then be what is the strategy then to switch over from, you know, the very enticing concept that we are all Christ and are all like gods or can be like God. Um, I mean, that to a fleshly being, that seems like the most enticing possibility. How on earth, you two being individuals who did make the switch, how on earth are, do you talk to someone like that and try to uh, switch them over to a more gospel-centered idea of Jesus? Well, one thing is uh, usually when people have that thought and, and that that it's enticing like that, it's because usually they're thinking in the moment and they're not thinking down the line. Uh, they're They're thinking about you know, what, what suits them for today. Uh, they're not thinking about, you know, tomorrow or next year, or especially not even, um, eternity. And that, that's, that's a really big deal. It's, it's hard to convince people to think more eternally minded rather than, uh, rather than physically minded. That, that can be really, that can be really difficult. Um, but, What's actually going on here, if you can convince people, because the New Agers that are believing this, they're they're already believing in a sense, and you know it varies from individual to an individual, but in a sense, they're already believing that they're their own God. Now they'll say that they, you know, have ascended masters or or some will even use the language of of guardian angels and say that um uh that that are so they don't really look at it as like above them, but sort of above them that kind of helps them in their own spiritual development. But they, they don't see him as like a God that you have to be held accountable to in any way, uh, because these beings are are just there to help you spiritually uh, develop in, in kind of in your own way. Um, but and then ultimately you're your own God. So. All that to say, while that sounds enticing in the moment, it's actually extremely dismal and depressing. Think about think about a God who has only been let's say let's say you're 30 years old, a God who's only been alive for 30 years, who, who's who's only been on one planet, you know, who who's only seen life through the lens of a human being, who knows nothing about the afterlife, has has never died before, so doesn't really know what that is like. Uh, you know, a God who, a God who believes that you are so worthless that the only God you should serve is this ignorant God who doesn't know anything about death, doesn't know anything about the afterlife or eternity or creation or the beginning of the universe or uh, anything about any of that because it hasn't experienced any of it and it certainly didn't create any of it. Um, a, a God that loves you so little, it, it believes that you're you're only worthy to worship that type of ignorant God being 
the individual being that person's self. You know, and, and with these people, while 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 they'll admit that you know they'll say, "Well, I'm my own god, and you can be your own god." Then the question would be, "Okay, well, why are you worshiping yourself instead of me?" Then you know, if we're both our own god, why 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 is it better for us to worship ourselves rather than each other? Because you you don't ever see that you don't you know you don't ever see them trying to worship another human being because it's really easy to see the flaws in somebody else. It's more difficult to admit the flaws in yourself. So while it seems enticing to be your own god, it's actually a really dismal, depressing, uh, a dark place to be in that that really keeps you captive. It's not freedom. You know, you find freedom in Jesus when when you submit to you know and it, it sounds like a contradiction, but it's really not because of the God that we serve. Um, because Jesus is who he says he is. He's the author of all truth. When you submit to him, really, you're submitting to truth. You're submitting to freedom. You're submitting to all all of these, you know, you, 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 you're, you're more free than you could possibly be because you know what the truth is. You can't be free if you're living lies. You know, people that think that they're they're their own God. They're just living their life how they want to live it. And they're making all the, all their decisions for themselves and everything. Would you do that to a five-year-old? You know, would you tell a five-year-old, well, Hey, you got, you, you got free will. You got freedom. Go ahead, touch the hot stove. No, you would warn them and you would tell them, you know, don't touch the hot stove. And if they do it anyway, and they get their hand burned, it's not that you're burning their hand. They, they didn't listen. They didn't follow uh, your, your, your advice or your rules. And because of their rejection of your authority, they went and got themselves hurt. Well, that's what you're seeing in 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 life. You know, in in that sense, the child doesn't have the freedom that's offered by the parents' uh, instruction. So, just the same with us and God. You know, if if we choose to reject God and become our own God, we don't have the freedom uh, that that we can have in Jesus' instructions. You know, not now we're on our own and we don't know what's going to hurt us. We don't know what's going to be good for us. We don't know anything about eternity or. or what, what's going to happen after this life? We we know nothing, uh, really, and so again, I mean, while it sounds good in the moment, that that it's it's a really depressing uh, and hopeless hopeless situation to to live through. I mean, there's 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 zero hope. You know, you're going to die someday. You don't know what comes after. You have no way to prepare yourself for it uh, if you're your own god. Now, if you have Jesus. If you have Jesus, then you're all set, and you 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 can have freedom in the fact of knowing that no matter what happens to you, even if and when you die, you're okay because you're going to be with Jesus, and He's made promises that He's He's going to take care of you. So you 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 have freedom in that. So really, submission to Christ is is really the true freedom. Um, being your own God, that's that's the true bondage. Yeah, I would say too that, um, and this is pretty important. Uh, New Agers are looking for. Uh, a source of spirituality. They're really metaphysically inclined people. Right. Mm-hmm. They think supernaturally and rightfully so. You know, we're made in the image of God in Ecclesiastes 3.11. It says God's put eternity into the heart of man. You know, we're supernatural creatures in the sense that we're not merely physical. Um, we indwell a physical being that Paul calls our tent, but um, we're built to be in some kind of supernatural relationship. And so it's helpful in evangelizing to those in the New Age movement to explain to them, hey, you know, I, I love this. I love that Jesus didn't die. I love Jesus didn't say, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one gets to heaven except through me, though that's true. He said, no, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me, right? Jesus died so we could be reconciled to the Father. It's not just a get out of hell free card. Right. 
it obviously saves us from the wrath of God. It saves us from the penalty of our sin, and that needs to be communicated as well. But Jesus, Paul said, we've been given the ministry of reconciliation. Therefore, I plead with you on today, be reconciled unto God. The goal is to be in relationship with God. One of my favorite verses, John 17, 3, this is eternal life that they know you, right? right. Not this is eternal life that they live like hell and think like hell and avoid all the things they want to do and do all the things they don't want to do. So maybe they can spend eternity in heaven one day. This is eternal life that they know you, the only God. And so G Jesus died so we can be in relationship with the Father. And that starts now, <clears throat> right? And it's helpful to really emphasize to new majors. I found this so effective in correcting misunderstandings people have about Christianity. Christianity is pure, pure spirituality. If you look at the, the ministry of the Holy Spirit, the function of the Holy Spirit, there's scores, scores of things the Holy Spirit does in a believer's life. Um, quickens our mortal bodies, leads us into all truth, um, uh, saves us from the power of sin, uh, makes us a new creature in Christ, regenerates our hearts. Everything is a work of the Holy Spirit. You know, we have fellowship in the Holy Spirit, 1 Corinthians 13 14, uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, you know, we understand things because of the Holy Spirit. All spiritual revelation is given and understood by the Holy Spirit. We understand the spiritual by the spiritual, not by the flesh. You know, the natural mind does not receive the spiritual things of God, right? The Holy Spirit brings these things to life in us. And under emphasizing to the person who's in the New Age movement, you know, this isn't about, this isn't just a judicial system. It is, and people need to know about the legal implications of their sin and the legal implications of the atonement, um, what Jesus did on the cross and how that, you know, fully pays off their moral debt. You know, our record of debt was laid onto him. He bore our sin in his body. He was judged as if he were us. He was our substitute. Our The wrath of God was expiated. The moral debt was expiated, etc. But it's really helpful to understand, you know, Jesus didn't just die to get you to heaven. He died to get heaven into you. Yes. Right? He, he sent the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit indwells us. And when we're indwelt with the Holy Spirit, we literally walk with God. He leads us. He leads us into all truth. He guides us. Jesus says he will bring you remembrance, uh, bring you uh, into remembrance of the things that I've said. He will bear witness of me. He will testify of me. And this is important. So emphasize that when you're evangelizing to new agers. And they're like, I had, I had no idea Christianity was spiritual. Um, it is. It, it's, it's pure spirituality. It's the, the spirituality we all crave that we're literally designed for. Yeah. And yes, it requires repentance and cooperating with God, but the fruit of it is not just a ticket to heaven. The fruit of a, of a life is fellow of, of, of repentance and faith is fellowship with God now. Yeah. Right. And people don't know that, that God loves them. God wants to be in relationship with you. He doesn't just want to see you in heaven one day. He wants to, he wants to get inside you, indwell you, change you into the person you were knit to be in your mother's womb. You have plan and purpose on your life, but you can only, access what God has created you for if you're in fellowship with him. You're designed to be in fellowship with God. And that really ministers to people. Like it, it's really powerful stuff. And another thing on that note is when we remember what the what the Holy Spirit uh, does once we're born again, we also have to remember what the Holy Spirit does to those who aren't born again. Right. So the Holy Spirit in one sense is the only evangelist. Um, we're evangelists in the sense that we're trying to be obedient to God and give the Spirit a means by which to fulfill his ministry in other people. But it's the Holy Spirit who convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. And we sometimes think, we you know, we need to play the role of the, minute, the Holy Spirit in this person's life. Um, no, we don't. We need to share the truth in love 
and cooperate with God. Hey, what part, what do you want me to share with them right now? Where are they at? Do I need to come at them from an angle of love? Do I need to come at them from an angle of law? What do they need to hear? Holy Spirit, work and ministry in them. But it's a work of God. Jesus says this. He says, no one knows the Father except the Son and anyone to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Right When Jesus is giving his sermon on the mountain in John chapter 6, and he gives this amazing sermon, he says, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. And like a thousand people leave except the 12, right? And he says, um, you know, do you want to leave too? And uh, they say, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. And he says, this is why I tell you, no one can come to me unless it's granted of him by my father, right? It's a divine sovereign work whereby God initiates the process of salvation in the other person. And, you know, we can argue about whether or not that grace is irresistible or whether or not we're to, we're to cooperate with that and we can reject and resist that. But it's the, the work of the Holy Spirit in the person convicting them of sin, righteousness, and judgment, bringing them to a knowledge and awareness of Christ. And we're just a conduit. We're a means by which the Spirit works and fills his ministry in another person. So it's not our arguments that leads a person to Christ. It's not our love. It's not, uh, I like what, what uh, who was it, Leonard Ravenhill? I believe it was Leonard Ravenhill or Oswald Chambers. We should never... Um, confuse our knowledge of the gospel or our communication of the gospel with the power of the gospel. Yeah. Um, Cause the spirit's the one doing the work. He's the one bringing it to life. Amen. Right. And so when ministering to new agers, I take the, the stance and I've ministered to so many online and in person, you know, it's the gospel. That's the power of God into salvation. I don't have to find some way to kind of, you know, manipulate them by buddying up with them and using some new terminology, you know, are the words of Jesus spirit and life, like he said, or aren't they, you know, is the gospel, the power of God unto salvation for all those who believe, or isn't it? Um, you know, if we're speaking the truth in love, you know, it says be gracious, be as gentle as, as doves and wise as serpents. We're being crafty, if you will. We want to become all things to all men that we might win some and cooperate with God as we're ministering, but don't compromise. It's the same truth. It's the same gospel presented in the same way. And we have to remember God's sovereign over the salvation process. Um, that way we're not walking in compromise. We're walking in love, but we're not walking in compromise. And let's emphasize too, that they're looking for something spiritual. They're looking for a spiritual life. Let's remind them that Jesus says, whoever believes in me, as it is written out of his belly will flow rivers of living water. Right. Right. Jesus died so we could be filled with God. Um, which is, which is amazing. So emphasizing the ministry of the Holy Spirit is really important and remembering the sovereignty of God in the salvation process is also really important in ministering to New Agers. Boom. Yeah, yeah. I think that part of, uh, people can go back to the episode, our, our last episode, episode 141, where we talked about, you know, the process of sanctification uh, as something that bridges justification and glorification as these sort of three phases of uh, what God is working on here. And I hear a lot of that in what you're talking about in that earlier Josh had mentioned, you know, we, we shouldn't find or look for common ground with the new agers. And I, and I mostly agree with that in terms of the specifics. Um, but if we take away a lot of the specific details or whatever, you know, doctrine or worldview or belief system that is uh, built on top of the, the whole new age thing, at least I have discovered a commonality or a common trait that's consistent with not just new agers, but even like transhumanists. They, they also have a very similar worldview in uh, the betterment of humanity, uh, the ascension of uh, humans and that kind of thing. All of it comes from this inherent craving to restore or to get rid of the obvious shortcomings that we have as human beings, you know? And so I think when uh, that might be a point of 
uh, a conversation that can take place with new agers. I know I have had many, you know, back and forths and stuff and emails and in person with people that are more inclined to believe those types of uh, worldviews. Um, that part of it, the eschatology part of it uh, about glorification and the glorified state and what that, you know, that promise is in the Bible, uh, prophetically speaking. And, um, and, and because really it sounds like a very similar thing to what the new agers and transhumanists want in this sort of like glorification or glorified or ascended, whatever the difference is that, you know, the, the means to get there is not our own doing. It's not us being God or it's not us, uh, just improving in the science lab, you know, that kind of thing. So, um, if you guys, did you guys consider some of that and how it ties into, uh, the greater, you know, uh, end times eschatology where it can be a point, a launching point, or just a common, uh, starting place to discuss some of the deeper, uh, gospel issues. Yeah. The way, the way that I would see that is, um, I, I, and I agree with all that. I, I just don't see that as, as, common ground per se. Um, it, what, what it actually is, is the, the new ager or the transhuman uh, who believes that stuff, whether they know it or not, in a sense, they're, they're actually getting a piece of what we already believe as Christians, you know, that there is a need for, um, there, there is a need for restoration right. and things like that. But like you said, Gonson, you're absolutely right. We just disagree on the means to get there. Uh, so the, the only common ground that there would be is, is on the Christian side. It's not really, you know, uh, and, and you see that that actually happens quite a bit. And so that can absolutely be a point to, um, to discuss. And, you know, I, I wouldn't, if I was talking to somebody, uh, you know, you know, a new age or a transhuman or somebody who was talking about that, I wouldn't say, well, you know, that's actually a Christian belief. So ha! <laughs> you know, I, <laughs> I wouldn't put, I wouldn't put it to him like that, but what I, I would probably present it as if it were kind of cr- common ground, but by saying, you know, uh, you know, it's interesting that you, well, actually I, I did, um, uh, it wasn't really a debate. It was just kind of an interview with, uh, Zoltan Istvan, the leader of the mm-hmm, transhumanist yeah. party. And we found, we found a bunch of stuff like that. And for me, uh, and I, I, towards the end, I kind of hinted towards this point, but because I, I didn't want to, you know, bash him over the head with it, but, uh, there actually was quite, quite a bit of stuff like that. But what, what, he, I, I don't know if he realized it at the time until I started saying so. But uh, what he was, uh, what he was believing and 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 talking about were were actually Christian things, not the means by which we attain those things, but like the need for restoration. How uh, you, you know, you know, de- death is like a curse. You know that that kind yeah. of stuff. That's actually those are actually Christian beliefs. So 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 when I was talking to him, I was like, well, you know. It's actually interesting you bring that up because Christians have, uh, you know, we we believe that we've been saying that all along. It's just that we believe that the answer is not going to be found in, you know, man-made scientific advances and technology, but the the answer has to be something eternal, you know, because even from a scientific standpoint, you know, if you just look at and this, because you know Zoltan's more of a science-minded kind of guy. This was the approach that I took with him. Uh, but I said, okay, let's even just take it purely scientific. We know that at some point in the future, uh, the universe 
uh, is going to experience some sort of death. You, you know, there, entropy is on the uh, quantum level. So even particles themselves, at some point in the future, they're going to decay and die. Uh, so there is no technology that you could build to get away from that because all technology is based on physical uh, science. It's based on on physics, um, on on. Uh, uh, like like quantum particles and things like that. So what could you build? Everything is made from quantum particles, you know, fundamentally. What could you possibly build or create that would escape that when it would be built from those things? So I was trying to explain that to him and saying, like, so no matter what, you, at best, you're going to get a stall. You know, you're still going to experience some sort of death. You're still going to experience death, even if you're able to upload upload your consciousness into the matrix. And that there was a whole theological discussion around that too. How do you know it's you and not just a copy of you? But um, but even if you're you're able to you know live until the end of the universe, still whatever mechanism you create to get yourself there is going to break down. You're still going to have to uh, you're still going to have to um, uh, die at some point. What then? You know, and so ultimately the answer still goes back down to this question of eternity. What is beyond space and time? That's what we call eternity. What What is beyond space and time? Because space and time is subject to entropy. That's a physical law. Um, and that's why when we think about death and the end of life and all that stuff, we have to consider it from that angle. So I kind of take that approach. And so, uh, but you, usually when I, when I concede that there's common ground and when I talk talk to somebody like that. I do try to put in there, not in a prideful way or in a gotcha kind of way, but I do try to put in there uh, that, you know, well, Christian, that's actually a common Christian uh, belief. And I, and I do that because I don't want the other person to think that I have anywhere close to the feeling or thought of that. Well, you know, if, our, if, if we have common ground here, then, you know, maybe you're a little bit right and I'm a little bit right, and then we can find some compromise. And, you know, I always want to make it clear that, you know, this isn't this isn't a compromise. Right. It's just that you you have happened upon something that you may not know is is uh, a Christian sure. belief, but it just happens to be you know a Christian belief. And then I try to do that in the most loving way you know possible, so it doesn't sound like I'm just trying to be right or you know I'm trying to you know get them with that or anything. So it can it can be difficult. You know, you gotta have you gotta kind of be delicate with it a little bit. But you know, at the same time. Uh, you know, we don't ever want to even even put the put the image up that we're compromising uh, what we what we believe. And and I've found uh, surprisingly, any time that I've taken that approach, I've never, at least not yet, I've never had anybody react to it, you know, badly or or in a, in a in a in like a defensive way. If there's something about it, and I think it's just because it is truth. There's something about it that's disarming. So, like when I was talking to Zoltan about that, we had an excellent conversation, even though we disagreed on everything, <laughs> like literally everything. But but we had an excellent, really eye opening conversation. I learned more about his positions. He learned more about mine, and it even got to the point where at the end, I was able to ask him. Uh, so, what would have to happen? What would you need? Uh, for you you to accept Christ today, or is that even something that's possible? And then he immediately, so you could tell he's thought about it before, which is good. So, I mean, everybody that's listening, pray for Zoltan. I, I truly believe he could be a Christian someday. I, I really believe that, you know, he could actually accept Christ and, and be an amazing warrior for Christ, which would be great to see. Uh, but um, but he, because he, he clearly in his answer, he had thought about it. It, is, it, it. He wasn't surprised by the question. It's something he thinks about. And he said, oh, yeah, it's absolutely 
absolutely possible. All, and he, it, this is going to sound like he was being sarcastic, but he wasn't. Uh, he said, all Jesus would have to do is just show me the holes in his hands and feet, and then I'm a believer. And so I responded, well, he, he did do that to, you know, for some people in the, in the past. So it's <laughs> not completely out Challenge of the question. Challenge accepted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but, but, you know, I, I think that he was kind of giving a, a, a tongue in cheek sort of answer, but, but really what I got from that was even with somebody as, as extreme as Zoltan Istvan, the, the leader of the transhumanist party, there's still hope. They're still getting through. He was still able to have a conversation that was, that was pleasant and, and respectable. And, uh, he, he considered the points that I was making. And so there are ways to convey these things without having to compromise anything, uh, anything about, you know, I never met him halfway on anything. Um, you know, except the only time I ever did that was like political stuff. That's not really like a Christian thing. It's not really like, we talked about other things that that were a little outside the scope of Christianity, and uh, so we we had some common ground there. And that you know the political stuff, I really don't care nearly as much about as the you know the truth of Jesus Christ. But when it came to that, I didn't compromise on on any of it, and we had a really good productive conversation. So I, I would encourage people if people talk to you know transhumanists or New Agers, uh, that approach has has really worked well for me. And I, I think that I think that's a, a, a biblical approach, at least as far yeah, as I, I can know see. your audience, and you know, just uh, you brought up Zoltan, and he just happened to come out and say some pretty not just inflammatory, but you know, wild things about down, being able to download happiness and download fulfillment, and uh, even jumped into my my Twitter yeah. feed and was <laughs> talking about you know why can't you just download Jesus basically and do the Christian ethics and stuff yeah. like that and and so more people will be like christ if you do that and it's a very uh again a very uh, flesh driven concept that he's pushing but uh again and I'm, yeah and I, I didn't want to say that you know we need to compromise but i did want to oh no point yeah. out that there are whether they realize it or not there are common traits to all of this that again like you said yeah the biblical truth seems to pretty much address you know from, right from the get-go has, yes. has addressed uh, for multiple millennia that, uh, you know, people on the cutting edge of science are just starting to see as a potential possibility. And it's like, well, no, I think the Bible and the word of God, which is transcendent, has been kind of saying <laughs> that for a long time. So that's that's really my point that's of bringing right. that up in that angle. But ultimately, I think it goes down to yeah. uh, knowing your audience when it comes to preaching the gospel to people. That's right. Yeah, and I think that's what Paul was saying when he said that he he's all things to all people, but right. not in sin. Uh, you know, he doesn't follow him in sin, but he, he and I, 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 so yeah, I totally agree with that. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Zoltan's done that on, on my feed a couple of times too. With, with him, I think he genu- ge- genuinely is uh, searching for answers because he, he's asked, he was talking about uh, quantum archaeology uh, on one of, one of a Facebook thread or something. And he said, you know, well, you know, why, why, which is basically the idea that, you can kind of resurrect the dead somehow through some quantum technology or something. But uh, he's like, well, why wouldn't we want to, you know, use this technology to to resurrect Jesus and then we can learn more from him? And so I, I know he's got like a philosophy background. And so I said, well, because if, we, if we're going to believe that Jesus is who he said he is, you know, if, if we're going to believe the accounts of the Bible are true and, and that they're accurate— uh, which is, you know, if, if that's the only reason we'd want to learn more from him, because if the Gospels are not accurate, then what do we care? You know, then he's just some other guy, and who cares what he has to say? But if he's actually somebody worthy of learning some things from, uh, well, he gave his life willingly. You know, Scripture says that he gave his life willingly. So would it not be against the non-aggression principle if we were then to go against his will?
wishes by resurrecting him if that were even possible and bringing <laughs> him back. Uh, you know, gotcha, and going, yeah. So, so, <laughs> so <clears throat> there are way and and so uh, there are like pleasant ways to kind of have those conversations on uh, sort of on their own terms, but it's not really on their like, their own terms. You know, we, we can use we can use some of the same language and stuff, but really it's you know it's it's kind of you know common sense sort of stuff. But I, I don't know if he thought about it like that before. So, you know, I'm, I'm hoping that that gave him, gave him a little bit more perspective on kind of the, the, the Christian outlook of that thing. And, you know, of course, because most Christians who would answer that would probably say, well, he's the son of God. You can't resurrect him. And you, he already resurrected. He's already in heaven. But you got you got to understand who you're talking to. You know, if you're talking to an atheist, they don't believe in any of that. You know, so you got to you got to you got to kind of meet them on, on their own terms. And, and again, you know, like Paul said, be all things to all people, but not in sin. So it's like, OK, well, he's got a philosophy background. I know he knows what the non-aggression principle is. So maybe that's a way to kind of, uh, you know, bridge this gap here. So yeah, Gonz, I absolutely agree with you. There, there are, there are definitely areas like that, that we can, uh, uh, share some insights with. Yeah. I would say too, that there's, uh, certain spiritual truths that new agers come to discover through, um, just soul searching. Uh, they're just built to have an awareness of certain truths that new agers, new age teachers, sorry, uh, end up taking advantage of, and they mm. um, weave into a false ontology, a false worldview, a false metaphysics. But these truths, in and of themselves, um, you know, are biblical. Right. Things like you are more than your body, right? You're a spiritual being. You're not just a physical being. Uh, that's biblical. Um, you're not just molecules in motion. The belief that uh, you were made for more than making a dollar and spending it. You're, you're made for more than the nine to five grind. You know, you have a plan and purpose on your life. Uh, that is absolutely true. Um, the belief that earth is not your primary home in the grand scope of things. There's a lot of new agers who feel like, I just don't feel like this is the final stage. This is not what I'm right, created yeah. for to just live and die on earth. And that's true, you're not. Yeah. Um, this is meant to be a, a transition, a transit, a transition period um, to eternal life, to the new heaven, the new earth. Um, so that's that's true as well. That intuition you have, that's absolutely true. Or even the belief, you know, you can get into some of uh, the darker beliefs talked about, and the new age with the belief that there's a spirit world um, that's populated by immaterial beings that can be contacted. Um, that's extremely true. Ephesians six, right? Yeah. So the question here is, okay, what is our interpretive standard? for all of these intuitions that you're having. Um, what are we going to, where are we going to go with this? Um, is there a higher truth, a greater truth that these other truths need to be understood in relationship to? Right. And obviously the greatest truth ever is the gospel that God exists out of God's love. He sent Jesus to die and rise for our sins. And he's, he's made himself known in and through the, the person of Jesus Christ and in and through his word. And all these other truths, yeah, they're, that's awesome. You're right. Yeah, that's a cool discovery to have. You know, you're not supposed to just work nine to five and get lost in the rat race. You're not going to find purpose and fulfillment in that. You're absolutely right. You know, you're not going to find purpose and fulfillment unless you live a spiritual life. That's absolutely right. But those truths are part, just a small part of a much bigger truth and a more authoritative, a more final truth. Um, that is the gospel and the word of God. And so I, I do find it helpful to, in, in conversation with, with New Agers, to affirm their worldview up to a certain mm. point. Um, I don't want to say as much as you possibly can, as much as you can without compromise right. and say, um, absolutely, there's a spirit world. Absolutely, you're a spiritual being. Um, absolutely, you're having 
you know, transpersonal experiences, supernatural experiences. Oh, you're leaving your body every night. Oh, I, be- I believe that. Sure. You know, there's there's a theoretical model for um, astral projection and OBEs coming from scripture. And Josh and I document that. Our whole first chapter in the book is about uh, how the Bible oftentimes confirms that there is a supernatural reality behind occult practice. Mm-hmm. Um, things like, I'll give you one example, um, Acts 16, 16, a woman was possessed by a spirit of Pythonus or divination, and uh, I was able to help her foretell the future. Now, obviously, demons can't see into the future, but they can predict it with a relatively um, high degree of probability, depending on how they're working, who they're working through, what information they have access to, and so forth. But this woman was able to make her employer a lot of money by this spirit of divination that lived in her. And Paul cast the spirit of divination out. Um, Exodus 7 and Exodus 8 shows that the magicians in Egypt were able to replicate the, the miracles of Moses and Aaron, quote, by their secret arts. Uh, it doesn't say by sleight of hand. It doesn't say they were made to look like, you know, it was made to look like the staff turned into a snake. It was made to look like frogs came up out of the land. It was made to look like the water turned to blood. No, it tells us they replicated it by their secret arts. And, and actually, um, Egyptian black magic is something practiced in in the New Age movement through the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn, uh, through the Thelemic magic of Aleister Crowley, who his entire magic career, if you will, was birthed uh, at a trip he took uh, to Egypt where he was believed he was visited by Iowas, who was an assistant of Horus. And he actually believes Iowas, this Egyptian deity, and three other Egyptian deities um, channeled, uh, gave him, dictated the material to him, his primary magic book, the Book of the Law. And so there is um, a kind of a biblical confirmation for some of these practices and experiences they're having. And I think it's okay to say, yeah, you are experiencing that, but how do we interpret that now? You know, it's, yeah, you're having some experience where there's an ET in your bedroom or whatever. There's what you believe to be some kind of being in your bedroom. Let's say there's a being there, okay? Who is it? You know, what does it want? What is its origin? Um, How are we going to come to these conclusions? What's our standard by which you're going to assess what's happening here? And when we make the Word of God our standard, um, we can oftentimes validate a lot of what New Agers are experiencing, um, some of what they're believing. And I do think that's helpful. It's not to say we're so similar. It's just one more step. It's really quite different. But as far as making Christianity just look like what it actually is, you know, it's a matter of I want to represent the faith as it is in its full scope, right? I want to preach the full counsel of God and share the full counsel of God. And if it includes sharing, you know, your spiritual being built for a spiritual purpose to live in spiritual relationship, um, and this is not your primary home, if that's what it, 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 that's part of the full counsel of God. So I do think it's helpful to kind of validate um, what New Agers are believing and and kind of uh, sensing about their own identity uh, up to a certain point, and just uh, reinforce that with biblical truth and help guide them toward a. Uh, a more objective way to understand those things. Boom. Well, guys, thank you so much. I know we're coming up on our hard time limit here. So um, I want to make sure everybody gets the information on where and how to grab the book. You guys cover much more, much more than what we've uh, covered today on the show. I mean, you go into quantum physics and its manipulation. Nephilim. Um, You talk about ETs and Nephilim and fallen angels and... Yes, Gons, Nephilim, Nephilim. 
and all sorts of other stuff in the <laughs> occult and uh, what we got to be keeping an eye out for. Um, I was going to say, I'll give you guys uh, one one last word here to end on. And then uh, why don't you throw us some links and stuff so people can grab the book and uh, get the full story. Yeah, I would say for sure that um, <clears throat> what I would want people to know about the New Age movement is just now's the time to prepare yourself with the correct knowledge and counter arguments for new age spirituality. I mean, it's absolutely everywhere. Uh, I just want to give a few statistics here that we outline in our book to demonstrate the pervasiveness of this movement, right? Um, 40 cent, 40% of Americans meditate at least once per week. 36 million people are practicing yoga right now in the country of America. Um, the psychic services industry, things like palmistry, fortune telling, tarot card reading, that's a $2 billion industry. Yoga is a $10 billion industry. Um, there was a study came out. It was kind of uh, interesting. There's a study. It was released right when Josh and I's uh, book was officially out. October 2018, the Pew Research Center came out with a study, and it found that 62% of the American population holds at least one New Age belief, but they only tested for four beliefs. They only tested for the belief that there's spiritual energy and physical objects, the belief that psychics offer some kind of uh, reliable insight into the future, the belief in astrology and the belief in reincarnation. There's scores of New Age beliefs. They only tested for four of them, and 62% of the population holds at least one. But the study also found that 61% of professing Christians also holds at least one of those beliefs. Um, if they were to test for all of them, I think you're looking at 85 to 95% of the population, including the church at large, believes in at least one New Age belief or is involved in at least one New Age practice. That is crazy. That's not just, you know, some kind of countercultural undercurrent, you know, that started in the 60s and it's just on the fringes of society. This is infiltrating every part of our culture. It's in our schools. It's in our churches. Uh, it now occupies the vast majority of Western thought. And, and I want people to just have a sense of urgency about what's at stake here. Um, the Bible says to always be prepared to give a response to those who ask for the hope that is in you. And um, part of that is equipping ourselves at least a little bit. We don't have to be world experts on every religion, but let's learn some of the basics with what the biggest threats are uh, in our day and age. And right now, I think it's, uh, you know, postmodernism mixed with, you know, some kind of culturally adapted Eastern philosophy and Eastern practice. And if we can get our hands on a, a good resource, good material, equip our minds, you know, gird up the loins of our minds uh, with the truth on these things, it's going to make us much more effective evangelists. Um, and that's what's important. You know, I, I meet so many people, people tell me I have a daughter lost, lost in the new age. I have a friend, I have a cousin. Everybody has somebody who's lost in this movement, but they don't know what to do. Nobody knows what to do about it because there's not really pastors talking about it. There's not really resources out there available um, that really fully give an overview of what this practices, what this uh, uh, worldview teaches, and what the Bible has to say about it. What does history have to say about it? What does science and philosophy have to say about these ideas, this worldview that they're teaching, right? And uh, I, I just want people to be aware that this is a really big threat to the church. It's a big threat to um, the spiritual sanctity of the West right now. In particular, and I'm not trying to, to fear monger, but um, I do think it's important that we educate ourselves on what the tactics of the enemy are so that we can become uh, equipped and prepared when we have to face them. And um, I do think that, you know, the New Age movement is something that the church is lacking in right now. And because it's lacking, it's working its way into mainstream evangelical Christianity. And we document that in chapter 10 of our book, but it's, it really is everywhere. 
and uh, it's because of a lack of knowledge. So I would really encourage people to um, take this issue seriously. Yeah, and if, if people want to get the book, the best place to go is uh, skywatchtvstore.com. And um, if they get it if they get it there now, it comes with a, it's a, it's a whole package fil- filled with uh, DVDs and other materials, a lot of teaching tools that people can use to really get their, their heads around this stuff. And the, the way that we wrote this is we, we don't write it over anybody's head. So anybody is going to be able to understand this uh, just fine. And it'll give them the tools that they're going to need to, you know, witness to their kids or their friends or, or because I, I guarantee everybody knows a handful of people, not even just one person, but a handful of people, uh, who are lost in the new age movement and most of which who don't even know that they're lost in the new age movement because many people don't know how to, how to identify it. So, uh, best place to get it, skywatchtvstore.com. They can just search, uh, for the book, the second coming of the new age. If they want a direct link, they can go to, uh, either Steve's website or mine. Mine is, uh, dailyrenegade.com. They can go there. There's, there's a direct link to the, uh, the full package, uh, that comes with the book. Uh, and then Steve, what, what is, uh, your website again? My web, <laughs> my website's reasonsforjesus.com. And uh, I have a YouTube channel, uh, youtube.com slash Stephen Bancars, where most of my content is uh, actually geared towards the New Age movement, um, uh, debunking their arguments, explaining uh, what this stuff teaches, uh, giving a Christian response to it. So those would be the best places to follow up with, uh, with what the Lord's doing in my life. Absolutely. And if uh, if people just want some free material, even just go to YouTube and type in our names, Stephen Bancars and Josh Peck, and you're going to get dozens and dozens of uh, interviews that we've we've done, videos that we he and I have made together on various aspects of the book. And uh, so if they can't afford the book or, or if they just want to watch some videos, uh, you, you, you'll you'll spend <laughs> with as much content as we put out there, probably days and days, uh, you'll spend days and days watching our, our stuff. So yeah, you, they can just look I up would our, mention, our names. I would mention too, the book, yeah. the book's also on Amazon. Um, yes. It's available on Amazon as well for, for those who are Amazon privy. Yeah. And want, and yes. just want to <laughs> help Bezos build more robot dogs. That's the way to do it. <laughs> well, Stephen Bankars <laughs> and Josh Peck, thank you guys so much. It's always such a pleasure to have you on the show. And Stephen, we're going to have you back in Joshy Pecky. Uh, we're going <laughs> to, we have, we have scores to settle. So I know we're going to talk later. And uh, oh, th- amen. <laughs> thank you guys again for coming on the show. And everybody, remember to go check out their links, check out the work. And there's much, much more in the book, uh, The Second Coming of the New Age, The Hidden Dangers of Alternative Spirituality in Contemporary America and Its Churches. So go check that out. And uh, so we're going to say a final farewell to Stephen and Josh. Thank you, guys. Thanks for having thank us. Thank you. So there you go. That was our conversation with Josh Peck and Stephen Bankars, authors of the book, The Second Coming of the New Age. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you got something out of it. I'm going to keep things brief here at the end. Basil is still out. Is he back yet? No, not yet. But he was there in that conversation, right? So that's all that really matters. And another episode is on its way without Basil in the introduction or the outroduction or outro. But hey, you know what? He'll be in that conversation It is with an author and philosopher and comedian who has been doing his own exposing of Hollywood. So stay tuned for that. In the meantime, make sure to check out Canary Cry News Talk. 
as well as the Joyspiracy Theory, Face Like the Sun on YouTube, and Facebook group Canary Cry Community, as well as the Canary Cry Radio page, and our Twitter account, at Canary Cry Radio, as well as our Twitch account. And I think we have an Instagram account, too. I keep forgetting to mention it, but we do have an Instagram account for Canary Cry Radio as well, so look for that. Or you can just go to canarycryradio.com. If you're new to this podcast, if this was your first one that you've ever listened to, and if it was, hey, welcome. Thank you for sticking around till the end. Go to canarycryradio.com, click around, start looking at all the information that we've gathered and presented in the podcast format so you can begin your journey of thinking outside the cage. Because, you know, after seven years of podcasting and being in this kind of fringy space, I must say, things are just getting started with the high strangeness and weirdness we're about to see and we're going to continue to report on and comment on and investigate. And all of that being said, thank you guys for letting us occupy your ears. Until next time, think outside the cage. To millions of Christians across America and the re- Ugh. let me start that sentence over. That was good. Yeah. And why this is fire. Cold <laughs> read, it. man. Dang it, Josh. <laughs> We've seen all around us. Oh my gosh, I'm having issues talking. Man, make, you are on fire today. Make your gonna, font, dude. I'm, uh, it's oh, man, big, make your gonna, font bigger. I'm gonna make it really big. Okay, here we go. There you go. <laughs> make your font uh, bigger. This is gotta this looks ridiculous. Him. I feel like a very old man now with the, how big the this, font is. Dude. You are nailing it. Where are we at? Plus 200. Okay. I think I'm just going to start the whole thing over. Okay. Okay.